Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Semaphore Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. In this new episode, Darko, our podcast host, welcomes tech consultant Suzanne Kaiser. Suzanne talks about how she uses Wardly mapping and domain-driven design to optimize software architecture and teams. I hope you enjoy this new episode. Now let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Today with us, we have Suzanne Kaiser. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Can you just please go ahead and introduce yourself? I am from Hamburg, north of Germany, and I am an independent tech consultant and uh, with a passion connecting the dots between business strategy with Watley Mapping, um, software architecture and design with domain-driven design, and team organization with team topologies. And I used to be a startup CTO for a couple of years before that, um, with different hats on, and I started my career in um, computer sciences and software architecture already a long time ago, over 20 years ago, and I started as a software developer, software engineer, tech lead, and then became a startup CTO and now independent tech consultant. At Semaphore, we're all about helping startups and growing businesses achieve their goals. We're introducing the startup and scale-up plans, which come with a per-seat fee, ensuring that we continue providing the additional value that our users expect. These plans come packed with several new features that were previously only available on our enterprise plan, such as new machines with faster CPUs and double the RAM and disk space, self-hosted agents for easy auto-scaling and complete control, metrics and insights for improved build performance over time, streamlined releases with powerful deployment controls, and much more. Head over to semaphoreci.com pricing for more information and happy building. Can you give us a, a brief overview of how independent consultant day-to-day, week-to-week work in life is? It's a, a wide variety of different uh, roles and different responsibilities. Um, so I'm doing like helping clients in various aspects. So for example, I um, at one client, I redefined uh, with the innovation department how the future role of IT will look like in their large corporation, large organization. At another client, I am um, also trying to connect to support them and their future architecture, not only from the tech architecture, software architecture, but also how the uh, corresponding team organization shall look like and also where to um, invest the majority of the development effort in terms of like going into the business strategy perspective, where is their core domains, where are the parts in their system that provides competitive advantage. I'm also programming, so I'm calling myself as well as a coding software architect. It's um, having different roles in different client situations, whatever is uh, necessary and whatever is requested and what makes sense for them. So it's this toolbox that I can provide from software development, software architecture, um, team organization, but also focus on trying to align it with the business strategy. Maybe you can share briefly how you did discover Wordly Mapping and how do you see it when helping your, your clients with uh, team topology, overload strategy and so on? Yeah, I got in touch with Wordly Mapping. But to be honest, I was really puzzled because I was thinking I could not connect it out to my specific context. So I tried then to bring this together or to identify like a client work. So how do their Wordly Map look like the value chain, like from users, user needs, what are the 
the components fulfilling the user needs and what what are the evolution stages for each component from genesis to custom build to product and rental and to commodity and utility. I try to figure out whether they are custom building commodities that are not core to their business. Or are they investing yeah, a lot of effort into something where they're not differentiating themselves? And that brings me then back to domain-driven design. Domain-driven design comes with the different types of subdomains with core domain supporting subdomains and generic subdomains and where the core domains that is the essential part, the business critical part of your system that shall provide competitive advantage. So domain-driven design says that you should put your mo um, the most development effort on your core domains. And so I was thinking, hmm, that is... So I tried to figure it out. Maybe that can be applied to the evolution stages on a walking map to bring them together. And for example, that mapping the subdomain types of domain-driven design with the evolution stages, like for example, core domains can be mapped to genesis and custom build or supporting subdomains to product and rental and generic to product and rental and um, commodity and utility evolution stages. But then uh, I was also thinking, okay, can we then say, and then we can map it to or to apply the doctrinal principles of water mapping, use appropriate methods per evolution stage, which say build components in Genesis and custom build in-house with preferably agile methods or use off-the-shelf products, uh, buy or use off-the-shelf products or open source software solutions for components in product and rental with preferably lean methods or outsource to utility suppliers for components in commodity and utility with or preferably uh, Six Sigma methods. The core domain itself, it can evolve through the evolution stages as well. Then the differentiation advantage of all competitive advantage switches or decreases and the cost advantage uh, over the time then increases. So they still custom build it, but with a focus or we are with a focus of optimizing cost and bringing then the economies of scale to that spectrum. And so that we can't just like always say, if a component is in Genesis or custom build, then we have to build it in house. But also, if it evolves over the time, we have to consider this as well. So, but it's, it gives you a different perspective combining water mapping, for example, with, uh, with domain driven design. And there also comes then team organization that was the last bit and the tool set that I'm, I, I love to combine is like how to align your team organization and try to first identify, for example, optimize for fast flow of change and try to reduce bottlenecks in your organization and then also identify uh, the streams of changes first like for example that could be the user needs of your water map and then try to identify team boundaries that could be bounded context as part of your value chain in your water map and then try to optimize for team cognitive load that means for example bounded context residing on the left spectrum of the Wartley map, like towards Genesis and custom build, they are changing far more frequently than components in, in, on the right spectrum of the Wartley map. So that is also can, as a heuristic that you can apply, okay, teams that are owning more bounded context or components in general on the left spectrum, they are, require higher 
team cognitive load, uh, where we have to deal with exploration and, and discovery and so on and uncertain unknown unknowns, then with components that are stable, widespread, well known, where we can apply best practices on the right spectrum. And there we can have more components because they are per component require less co team cognitive load. So it's, it's tried to bring in the characteristics and to derive some heuristics for also the team organization that are then responsible for bounded context, for example. Yes, 10 years ago, something that was custom built and innovation these days is far from it. It's completely moved to the right side of the spectrum, meaning that it's ubiquitous, available everywhere, you know, also doesn't cost a lot and all of those characteristics. I'm curious to learn how have you seen that evolutionally change affecting the teams? And because at some point something was an innovation and now five years later, it's very far from innovation, but it's still ours. We have to maintain it. We have to babysit it. We have to develop it. So if you can share your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I also like to bring in another principle from water mapping, the doctrinal principle, the think aptitude and attitude. We have in our organization not only aptitude skills that are relevant for team constellation, but also attitude, your personal preference or your, um, if you break your landscape apart into uh, smaller parts. And that, for example, if, if you are a team that own components on the left spectrum and, and um, Genesis and custom build, where you are addressing then exploration, experimenting, where you're addressing like constant changes, uh, frequent changes, volatile components, dealing with unknown unknowns, there you have to have a different attitude, a personal preference than for components that are residing on the right spectrum, where you are dealing with uh, standardized, well-established components, where it's well understood, where you can apply best practices. And I think that this is also relevant when you are bring teams together or when you when you build your teams. Like what components is this team responsible for? Is it and on all these teams types, all these personal preferences are very important for an organization. You have to have the explorer on the left spectrum, but you also have to have teams that like to improve and stabilize or to much mature and optimize your, your components. Another team can then take ownership of this evolved product and make it more more yes to mature the product uh, over the decades of the life cycle of this product. And I would say that a team itself should not to be X only team, like not an explorer only or a villager only or town planner only. I would say that as well with a team that comes with T-shaped skill sets, it also has a T-shaped personal attitude, a personal preference. So the team that is owning components in the right spectrum has more tendency or where one personal preference is prevalent than another one. So, um, but that does not mean that it's mutually exclusive, though, that we can switch the personal preference depending on your context you are currently in. And that also comes to team topologies and that also fits very well with team topologies because where you have your different team types of streamlined teams and uh, platform teams, they also need the support from the other team types, like for, for example, platform teams that support the streamlined teams. The interaction modes between teams can evolve over the time. So that means, for example, a platform team can go in close collaboration um, with a streamlined team, for example, to explore new cloud options 
together. That collaboration is meant short-lived, so they just collaborate and explore something new together. And when it's more established, it can then evolve into a limited collaboration and maybe later to X as a service. It's not a static organization. It's maybe the, the, uh, the teams are more, they are stable, but that does not mean they are remain static. So that can change over the time, but also the interaction modes between the teams is evolving over, over the time as well, depending on the context. Microservices architecture is all the rage these days. But do you know what it really means and how to implement it to empower your teams to make the best decision for the problem at hand? On the Semaphore blog, you can learn about microservices and how to take advantage of features like test reports, on a repo, and Docker support to build, test, and deploy your microservice application at scale. Head over to semaphoreci.com slash blog for more information. And happy reading. Organizations tend to go from having 20 people to 200 people to then 500 people in a very, very short period of time. I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that engineering team growth. I guess having this culture of um, knowledge sharing like in different areas established with, for example, community of practice, align your teams knowledge-wise as well, but also try to like that you can support a fast flow of change in your organization so that you're not introducing bottlenecks where others have to wait and get frustrated to get their changes delivered uh, to production. Also like the meeting culture is also one sometimes very crucial. Is it a meeting or can this be something uh, shared asynchronously? Also having this architecture principles in place so to have like to to make sure that not only that you have code analysis checks but also if your architecture still is aligned to architecture principles and architecture characteristics and so that you have some automatic checks but also sharing knowledge with for example community of practice or having enabling teams coming from team topology perspective a lot of what you have describing is um, maybe in the realm of documenting the culture so there is a knowledge in the people but you have to get to people but but if it was documented somewhere, as you said, as a reference architecture or, you know, principles of architecture and so on. And also like um, supporting it with also reference architecture, like, and also document it and share it with others as well. And I guess making this information transparent and accessible for everyone. Within the startup ecosystem in general, product building, there are those phases where there is that rapid, you know, progress of, you know, prototyping and discovery and, you know, putting things together with, you know, duct tape, which is usually built by first, you know, five, five in founding engineers. And then from what I have seen, there are usually two other generations. There are people that make a product work for, you know, a hundred people and then someone has to make it for, you know, so it works well for a thousand or ten thousand, and then there is potentially a third generation of people that know how to scale it. So it works for you know millions of people. Do you think that those people can be the same people, or the leadership and the generation of people within the organization would need to change? I guess it's very rare that the same people can handle the same context at the same scale. That's um, something that I definitely re would recommend to switch in the leadership and that are experienced in that level. Absolutely. I mean, leading a team is very different from leading team of teams and leading team of teams is very different from leading team of teams of teams. <laughs> I mean, you can still remain in the organization. I'm not sure that uh, I'm not saying that you have to leave, but uh, I guess you have to hand over the responsibility, I would say. The vast majority of 
our customers are, you know, more often than not, they are kind of late in bringing that second generation of leadership on board. And it's specifically uh, challenging if they're emotionally attached to their own source code that they <laughs> that they developed decades ago. And uh, instead of like opening it up for the next level and just, okay, to yeah enable others to chime in. Can you give us maybe, you know, a couple of steps that you usually do when you go in and you want to help organizations? I first try to identify their current pain points. So what are their pain points in regards to team constellation or um, yeah, fast flow of change or slow <laughs> flow of change and where they are identifying bottlenecks? And I try to identify pain points first, mostly from a team perspective first, but also, and then adding another perspective of bringing in then water mapping. So what is the current landscape? So in trying to start with their users and their user needs to also understand the domain, also to challenge assumptions within the team. And then also trying to identify some bottlenecks within that value chain itself, trying to bringing in then the lens of domain-driven design, how to decompose some of these components into smaller um, modular components, the bounded context from domain-driven design, and also how to ensure like high cohesion and loose coupling between those bounded contexts with context patterns. And then also finding what is the future of team constellation, uh, what teams can take ownership of what bounded contexts, and also what could be the services along this value chain that are necessary for the streamlined teams to support them in their daily work. So it's more a combination of uh, identifying the pain points and try to um, how to eliminate bottlenecks. And this also brings us to the next step of um, creating a walking map um, of the car visualizing the current landscape and use this as a foundation of for the uh, discussion for the future architecture, like how shall it look like in the future and what is our ideal landscape that we would like to deal with. So are we still using less efficient components in our value chain? I try to bring in different perspectives, like and. Um, starting with pain points or with a water map. You can also start with decomposing a system. You can start with either water mapping or with team and team topologies, but also decomposing your system into modular components and having this modularity in mind and um, those loosely coupled systems. And then we can chime in domain-driven design as well. Love it. Feels that your, your approach is you know, very systematic. I also like this visual, which... No, helps the communication with. Yeah, and I'm a very visual person. So uh, when I read text or if it's like visualized in a diagram, I say, okay, now I understand it. <laughs> so it's... it's uh, I think that's one of the important aspects of, of Fortly Mapping. It really, you know, paints the picture. Yeah, and it's also like also domain-driven design as well. So it just generates a common understanding, right? Um, so that, uh, yeah, and also ch challenge your assumption that what's, what Simon Watley also mentions is, is that you should share your map with others. It, it's the, the also more the conversation that you have, um, trying to create this water map together in a group and challenge your own assumptions and create a better map and a better understanding. But also that comes in with domain-driven design where you also have this collaborative aspect. 
So it's all about like sharing common understanding. Can you give us some pointers for people that want to learn more about your work, your services or follow you in general? I'm still writing a book about it. <laughs> it's supposed to be hopefully Let's Cross Fingers be published this year. And you can also follow me on yeah, Twitter Mastodon or on LinkedIn. And um, I yeah, I'm going also giving con uh, talks at conferences, the tech conferences. And you can always ping me. And so if you have a question, I am happy to discuss the challenges that you're facing. So. Amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Good luck with finishing the book. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for a great conversation. What a great conversation. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. Make sure to subscribe to Semaphore Uncut on your podcast player of choice so that you don't miss our new episodes. And stay tuned. 